You ain't heard nothing yet. Get around, let me look at you. What am I going to do? Frankly, my dear, I'm going to make him an offer. You talking to me? Are you not entertained? I don't know who you are. Why so sick? When I'm good, I'm very good. Simple. But when I'm bad, I'm better. He's denying Call me Mr. Boy's best friend is his mother. You have no style. You can bark all day, little dog. Everyone! Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Hello, and welcome back to the Tinsel Factory. My name is Caitlin, and I'm your host. Hope everybody had a great week. I'm currently recording this episode from the seventh circle of hell. I don't remember leaving Los Angeles, but I'm pretty sure this is hell. It's 107 degrees outside today, and if the audio ever sounds wonky from one sentence to the next, it's because I had to start and stop to turn the air conditioner on to cool down. Anyway, this week on Movie Theater Movie Reviews, we've got Elvis. I finally went and saw it after weeks of procuring a ticket and then changing my mind and canceling said ticket. So with all of that hubbub, now the question, was it worth seeing? It was. It really was. It's a very like high-styled biopic that I would expect to come from Baz Luhrmann. My one major gripe with it, and it was one that I did come into the movie aware with, but it still bugged me, was that the marketing really buried how much of this film deals with Colonel Tom Parker's side of the story, a.k.a. Elvis's manager, played by Tom Hanks. He's a huge part of this movie, and he even, like, narrates the majority of it. They really did not mention that in the marketing, which is a little, you know, shifty, but, you know, Warner's going through some shit right now, so I'll give him a pass on that. Visually, Elvis is everything you'd want from a Baz Luhrmann movie, and the performances are great, but it's way too long, and the storytelling is a little sloppy in parts. Other than that, it's one of the better new films out there right now, so I'd say overall we're seeing. Okay. So this month, we're trying something a little different and diving into something other than people, industries, studios, and general making of movies in the interest of making this a little more comprehensive of a podcast. My goal of this podcast was originally to explain all elements of film, and I've definitely hyper-focused a little too much on, you know, more historical things and people because I'm still building an audience, so I had to do some crowd-pleasers, but I still want to be very, you know, comprehensive and diverse in my programming. With that in mind, for this month, we're going to do a deep dive into the types of films that are out there, the origin of genre theory, and everything else that kind of pops up along the way. This will be interesting, I promise. I barely slept this week to make sure it was that way. Now, it's not often that I completely restructure an entire month after I've already started writing the scripts, but that's exactly what I had to do for this month. I thought I could just dive in on some history of drama films, but as I started researching, I was actually quite surprised when I discovered that if I wanted to do a decent job explaining a drama film or a comedy film or a horror film or whatever, I was going to have to pull back a bit. I started out writing this month thinking, everybody knows what genre is. And by about Wednesday of last week, I was asking myself, do I even know what genre is? Turns out, not as well as I thought I did. So I'm guessing maybe you don't either. 
So this week, we're covering the basics of not only genre, but genre theory as well. You might think this is a cut and dry thing. You know what kinds of films there are. But it turns out that there are scores of different ways to study how people study films. And it all starts with genre. Depending on whose method you're dealing with, the number of genres there are and how to classify them can vary wildly. This was a chaos I was not expecting to find, especially after coming across the classification system that I ultimately liked the best for defining genre. It's called Screenwriter's Taxonomy, and it didn't even exist until I was four years out of film school, aka when I stopped studying genre in any real manner until I started this podcast two years ago. Today, I'm also going to be going into a few different kinds of genre theory. There that there are to give you an idea of just how intense people look at movies, like intellectually speaking, how that drives audience behaviors, some history on the study of genre, and how genres are constantly shifting with the times, and even how they shape the film industry of an era. So, considering all that, with that, let's take our places. It's showtime. So now, if you're only a casual film watcher or you really like films, but you've never done any kind of intensive study into, you know, the ethos of all of all of this, or you're one of my parents who listen to my podcast every week, but tune out when I get into this stuff on the holidays and just start info dumping on you. Well, now you have to listen to me about it and there is nothing you can do about it. So the first thing you may be asking yourself if you are one of those people is what even is a genre? Is it the same as theme? What is the difference? Well, I'm so glad you didn't ask. Also, before we get any deeper, just really quick, unless I mention otherwise, we're dealing primarily with how genre developed and is studied in the Western world, as it's very difficult to find well-translated genre theory from other countries. Trying to explain all of that would take hours and not the 20 to 40 minutes I typically aim for for these episodes. Hell. It was difficult to find genre theory explanations in English that weren't steeped in pretension and made my eyes cross and my brain itch. So this is mostly just Western stuff. Okay, picture this. It's a Friday night, you're home from work, laundry is laundering, and you've decided that you've doom-scrolled enough on your phone, but not enough to read a book, and you're feeling like taking in a flick. You open your streamer of choice, and if nothing is striking your fancy on the homepage, you'll tab over maybe to the movie page, and then possibly even narrow it down a little bit further to one of the categories, like the little scrolly guys, because you're feeling a horror movie. But how do the engineers, or whomever does that part on the back end, know what films to put under that category? Well, that's thanks in part to genre theory. Genre is French for kind, so in the case of a film, it's literally the kind of film that it is. Couldn't be simpler in that regard. It's basically a classification system for films as well as other art forms. The idea of genre, however, isn't tangible or governed by, like, super strict rules, as it was invented by humans as a means to put things into categories. There are different genres that pertain just to literature or theater or art or music, and sometimes they do intermingle, but eventually all will develop their own genre identity within their respective art form. 
Each film genre has a series of conventions to determine what kind of film it is, and these conventions more or less break down into the following categories. You've got setting, character, story, presentation, stars, and themes. All of these things together will elicit meaning to the audience, which informs the viewer as to what and how a story is being told to you. Genre essentially creates a blueprint for the creation of further films, taking all of this stuff in, and also creates a series of audience expectations for each genre genre. Nowadays, we've also got subgenres, which are films that don't strictly fit into all of the basic conventions of a larger genre, and they also narrow down the type of film you're about to watch. Some theories argue that subgenres are their own genres, but we'll get into all of that a little bit later on this month. There are also hybrid genres, which combine conventions from different genres and subgenres. Think of all of this as like a family tree. You got like some stuff at the top, and then you got stuff that falls underneath it, and then eventually all of it's together, and then somebody gets married and then spits out a hybrid genre. That's that's pretty much how it works. Now, genre is not the same as theme. I used to have trouble with this, and I still kind of do sometimes. A theme is a stance that the writer, filmmakers, what have you, are trying to make come across in the film you're watching, almost like a thesis statement in a research paper. It's the idea, premise, or purpose of the film, so it's more of the why this story is being told, and genre is the how the story is being told. That's about as simplified as you can make it. Genre theory, as I hope you will find, is a great tool to not only figure out what kind of movie you want to watch, but also a skill set for looking into the society and culture that a film was made for. New films are never made to appeal to future audiences. There's no way how tastes will change, so there's no point. All films are made for the audiences of the time and place surrounding the filmmakers and studios and the like, so each time you watch an old movie, you're experiencing the society it was released to as much as the film itself. Genre helps you kind of navigate those conventions. Now, there are several different theories as to the number of genres there actually are and how all of this works. And this was the wall I kept hitting while trying to kind of organize all of this. But at the end of the day, I, I kind of came to the I came to the realization that you're never going to get a concrete answer about how genre theory works because it's a theory. There's no concrete opinion about any of this, which is why it's a theory. Also, it's an art form. For each individual that watches a film, there's going to be a different experience, which means there's going to be a different interpretation. So I'm going to hit some, like, two of the pretty different ones, and that'll kind of give you an idea without completely overwhelming you. But before we dive any deeper, since this is a film history podcast, let's get into a smidge on the history of genres real quick so you know how we got them in the first place. Genre theory originated as an absolute classification system for ancient Greek literature and was likely initially laid out for the first time in Aristotle's Poetics in 350 BCE, which is the oldest surviving document on the matter. In it, Aristotle states that poetry, like epics or odes, as well as prose, which is the type of language and how it's presented, and how a piece was performed, each held a specific set of design features that supported appropriate content for each genre, of which he stated there were three for early versions of plays, theater, what have you, that was comedy, tragedy, and epic, as well as three others that pertained more to poetry. In Poetics, Aristotle argued that speech patterns for comedy would not work in a drama, or vice versa, and therefore actors and writers were restricted to one genre or the other under the assumption that only one type of person could tell one type of story adequately. 
By Shakespeare's time, the closest thing we had to film was theater, and the bard would often label his plays as tragedies, comedies, histories, pastoral, or combinations of the four. From the genesis of cinema, however, the term genre, which began being used in 1770 to classify types of art and literature, was implemented in an effort to organize films according to type. In the early days of cinema, there were limited types. That's how it always starts. It was really only actuality, which was a snapshot of real life, comedy, or drama slash tragedy. As film developed as an art form and various genres emerged, this was most often due to using source materials like novels, which of course had their own genres, and developing from within film from there. As a result, audience members began going to films not just based on the company that made it or its star, but on what kind of film they'd be experiencing. Human beings typically enjoy predictability over mystery, despite what we lie about on our dating profiles about being down for an adventure. We are, but under certain parameters that we are comfortable with. Same thing is true for genre. Certain parts of certain genres appeal to certain people, and that's what ultimately drives our movie-going decisions. For example, if you're thrilled by a horror movie and you like that, or swoon during a romance, you're likely going to seek out familiar films to feel those feelings again. This is known as catharsis. These genres and others only exist because of the response of audiences when the first version of a type of film was made, not because of any master plan from a movie mogul or a director. Audience members merely responded positively to certain elements in certain films, and then poof, dozens like it followed, creating a genre in the process. The genre of a film can even change over time. For example, now considered the, if not one of, the first westerns, The Great Train Robbery from 1903 was originally marketed as a chase railroad crime film. Two of those never even became major genres. As more films like Another are made, this can shift what they are classified as. So now, Great Train Robbery is no longer considered a chase railroad crime film, it's now considered a western, with chase, railroad, and crime being elements of it instead. From the 1930s or so on, the existence of genre allowed studios to essentially Xerox films that fit within a certain genre, oftentimes reusing costumes, sets, and props from previous projects. This, of course, began leading to formulaic and mediocre films, which bored audiences to tears. But Hollywood had latched on to the idea of genre films from the early days of the studio system because picking an idea and sticking to a format made a film easier to produce and ultimately sell to audiences who knew what they were getting. From the 1920s to about the 1950s, genre films had clear, today often considered cliche, conventions and iconography, such as like heavy coats worn by gangsters, a killer in a hockey mask and wielding a knife or a cowboy wearing a cowboy hat. Just very, you know... You have to start somewhere, but very cliche. And, you know, it did set up rules, but it's not always a good thing. It makes it safe and it makes it stagnant. And many filmmakers from that era weren't allowed to do much outside of the quote-unquote rules of a certain genre. Indie filmmaking was almost non-existent at this time, so even if a film could be made that broke genre rules or potentially ex expanded upon them, it likely wasn't going to be seen by many people and therefore couldn't lead to significant change because you can't do it if nobody sees it. When this strict adherence to the genre rules caused a massive stagnation within the film industry, leading to a tanking of ticket sales pretty much the world over. There were other factors involved too, but this was a big part of it. But because of all that, we would eventually, as we discussed last month quite a bit, get a new generation of filmmakers that challenge themselves within the confines of genre, using it as a foundation to build upon, not the sole parameters. In this way, 
these new filmmakers could honor the past by showing what the future of filmmaking could be. In the 1950s, film critic André Bazin, or Bazin, whom we talked about a bit during French cinema about a month ago, as he was one of the forefathers of French New Wave, was writing about the concept of genre by using Western films as examples, as the genre conventions of Westerns have never really changed. Also during this era, there was a debate over whether genre should fall to the wayside and auteur theory, basically meaning that the genre was the director, not the like kind of film it was. It was an argument to pick that one in a, instead of genre. But by the late 1960s, genre kind of won out and became the significant part of film theory itself. Now the director kind of, in its own way, sort of works within genre classification. The old school genres like Westerns, horror and science fiction would become a part of and then evolve within film after coming from literature, while musicals would develop from Broadway and the theater. Genres like the gangster films, however, would develop from within cinema itself, with the cultural conditions of each time period inspiring the kind of stories that were ultimately made. This led to certain technical and aesthetic choices being selected for each genre, which led to similar films being labeled and studied and ultimately making them identifiable by film scholars and audience goers alike. Genre especially drives the American and European film industries. As the genres developed, audience members would choose what films they would see partially based on the genre. Critics would compare the quality of films belonging in one genre to those that came before it. When home video became a thing, the video stores stocked their films not just alphabetically, but by genre as well. The practice of sticking films into categories is still a practice within the streamers, like I mentioned earlier. All of this is in part because of genre theory. As genre labels continue to develop expectations within audiences, it has also informed within the studios as to which films they'd be financing and rolling out. You're not going to finance a Western if Westerns aren't doing well at the box office. Now today, since genre as a tool is able to adapt to changing meanings and the like, it's now become more of a classification tool to help a potential audience member figure out essentially what they're signing up for. If you know something is a horror film and you hate horror movies, you're probably not going to buy a ticket for that. If you recently got dumped, you're probably not going to want to go see a rom-com. Genre drives those decisions. And in this unprecedented era of content creation, filmmakers and the like have been given scores of opportunities to experiment with the blending of genres, bringing us new hybrids on the reg, and then arguably the hybrids becoming genres of their own. This includes things like action comedies, horror musicals, and sci-fi westerns. We're very much in an anything-goes-if-you-can-get-it-financed era of filmmaking. So in order to classify a film, you've got to know a couple things about it. First, the mood. This is the emotional tone of the film, and even from the first few seconds of a film's trailer, you could probably figure out what you're probably what you're probably going to be getting into. Does it feel funny? Haha, ha, or is it more dark and serious? Are there soldiers running around? Does a dude in a mask have a knife? Are there lovers meandering in a park? Also, how colorful is it? What color is it? Stuff like that. Also, where and when is this movie taking place? Is it taking place a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, the wild, wild west, or in modern day London? Knowing this can narrow down the genre of your film, particularly in these cases, sci-fi, historical, western, or war. The theme of a film, or what the film is about, is another thing to consider. Are we dealing with a football team in Georgia during the civil rights movement? Are we following the exploits of the Corleone family? Is it a group of teens in an abandoned cabin in the woods? With each example, you likely conjured up three very different films from three separate genres telling three very separate stories with three very different messages. 
Also, their sound. What kind of music's being used? Is there music being used at all? What kind of sound effects are being used? Are they the kind that you'd find in the real world? Or are they something done for comic effect? That will help you figure out genre as well. You can further break down a film into what audience the filmmaker or studio is trying to appeal to with the film. A rom-com is not necessarily going to appeal to the same group of people interested in a war epic or a Disney animated film. Also, animated films are their own messy situation that I did not have the time or resources to get into this week, but some actually argue that animation is its own genre completely separate from all of this, or that it's not even a genre at all. But that's a chaos for another day. But yeah. Every type of film appeals to a certain demographic differently, or not at all. The same can also be said for who made the film. Is it from a big studio, or is it a smaller indie film that did well on a film festival circuit? Those are going to have strikingly different looks because they had strikingly different resources. A lot of this starts with the film scribe. As screenwriters, more often than not, organize their stories by genre, more or less from the jump, in order to focus their prose to develop certain things, typically atmosphere, what's in a scene and why, character, who's in this film and why, and story, what's happening in this film and why. Also, when it comes to story, there are, depending on what theory you studied, and it varies, only seven types of stories in all the storytelling. Sometimes it's six, sometimes it's less or a little bit more, but I'm going with the seven one because that's what I remember learning and I don't feel like learning a new one. And also I did a cursory look at some of the other ones and I like the one I know best, but just know that there are other versions of this that do exist. But how these seven story structures are implemented will also determine the genre. The seven basic plots that all films can draw from are defeating a monster like Dracula, rags to riches like Cinderella, a quest like Lord of the Rings, voyage and return, back to the future, comedy, the big Lebowski, tragedy, Bonnie and Clyde, or rebirth like Groundhog Day. This is different from the six types of conflict, which are man versus wild, man versus man or society, man versus self, man versus God, fate, etc., or man versus technology. But the presence of certain plots and conflicts is also going to give you an idea of what type of film you're diving into and a general set of expectations as a result. And guess what? Different countries have different genres or different rules for the same genres. One example of this is the war movie genre. In the United States, the war movie genre typically refers to films that deal with a war that featured a large U.S. involvement, such as the Revolutionary Civil, the World Wars in Vietnam, whereas in other countries, movies related to wars in other historical periods are considered war movies. Or like with animation, even though I said we're doing animation, it's it's an easy one. So like for... Anybody outside of Japan, anime refers to Japanese animation, but in Japan, anime is just the Japanese word for animation, so anime in Japan refers to all of animation. It's like that. So now let's get into some examples of genre breakdowns and how kind of all of this is organized. Now, the benefit for me, at least trying to take all of this in, is that while genres change with the times, film is only about 127 years old, so in comparison to other art forms, it is a baby. So there wasn't, I narrowed a lot of stuff down, but there wasn't as much as it could be like if I was doing literature. One of the simplest ways I came across when it comes to categorizing films is the idea of fixed versus non-fixed genres. This one to me is a little bit more of an oversimplification, but it does lay a decent groundwork. So you've got the fixed genres. 
A prime example of a fic genre is the Western, which was insanely popular not just in the States, but the world over from the 1930s to the 1960s. The genre had first, like I said earlier, emerged in 1903 with Edwin S. Porter's The Great Train Robbery, but would gain popularity with younger audiences in the 1930s. Westerns were cheap to make, and it wasn't exactly difficult to find somewhere barren in Southern California to make them, so, you know, studios were happy with that. The convention that Westerns were cheap and easy changed with John Huston's 1939 film Stagecoach, which not only elevated the genre, but cemented it as a mainstay in cinema. For the next 20 years or so, the market the world over was inundated with these films, both in cinemas and eventually on television. By the 1960s, though, fatigue had set in, and while Westerns still come out today, it's nowhere near at the volume it was in its heyday. Western films are considered fixed because no matter what year the film you're watching came out in, be it Stagecoach or Unforgiven or 310 to Yuma, if you're watching a Western, you know you're watching a Western because you can't really change much about a historical place and time. And also, audiences have never tired of the format enough for anybody to really do any major revamps within it. For nonfiction genres, the opposite is true. And this applies to most genres as humans change over time, and therefore so does the conventions of the genres. A great example of this is the zombie film, which is technically a subgenre of horror, but we'll get to that in a couple of weeks. The Night of the Living Dead, for example, you've got came out in 1968. You've got slow-moving, mindless zombies, and the film is an out-and-out horror movie. Then later on, you got the Resident Evil films, which started coming out in 2002. These are video game movies, and therefore pull on conventions of those genres as well, and that kind of leads to its own subgenre within a subgenre. And then the This all eventually culminates in a film like Shaun of the Dead from 2004 that still deals with zombies but is more comedic in tone. They're all zombie movies in one form or another, but how these stories are told are dramatically different and have changed as the years have gone by. You can also mix fixed and non-fixed, or fixed and fixed and non-fixed and non-fixed together to make hybrid genres, which borrow conventions of at least two different genres to make something altogether new but still identifiable by the sum of its parts. Finally, in this classification system is something called non-genre or anti-genre or ungenre, which is for films that don't fit into really any genre. This could be because the film pulls from so many different things, it's difficult to classify. Sometimes it just takes more films like it to be made for a genre to be classified. Horror wasn't necessarily a genre when Nosferatu came out in 1922. It took more films like it to be released for it to be definitively classified. If that doesn't happen, a film typically gets described by the conventions and codes of the genre it most closely resembles. Another way to categorize films is the studios that made them. For example, if it was the 60s and you heard about the Hammer film that was in theaters, you knew you were likely getting a horror film. Or with Aeon, you're going to get a James Bond film. Same goes with certain auteur directors. The auteur director theory, which was another what Bazin wanted to have films classified by, which brings in the argument that a director is a genre. There is no genre but who made the film. And that does exist to a certain extent still, just not very prevalently, because you've got directors like Federico Fellini or Zack Snyder or Baz Luhrmann. All of their films have very, very identifiable looks and styles that are uniquely to their own films. The problem I kind of have with some of these ones is that everything just kind of is. There's not a great way of explaining how and where these genres came from, which was always kind of what confused me when I was originally learning this stuff. Luckily, though, since I was in film school, better ideas, in my opinion, have come about. 
My favorite genre classification theory that I came across when it comes to all of this is from screenwriter Eric R. Williams, who formats how a story or what kind of film something is akin to Linnaean taxonomy. If you don't remember biology, it's the kingdom, phylum, class, and so on, like what you do for biological beings. Like we are homo sapiens, but there's like seven other things above it or five other things above it. I don't... I should have looked it up. But, you know, you eventually get down from like you start with your kingdom, which is the broadest way to describe you. And then you get very specific to what kind of animal you are. So in the case of humans, homo sapiens. Williams does this with films and breaks all of this down in the screenwriter's taxonomy, which was created in an effort to develop a common language amongst writers. Williams argues that there are only two types of films, comedy and drama. But from there, you break down a film into its brand, of which comedy has 12 and drama has 10. We'll cover those in the coming weeks, but examples of this include parody or farce or slapstick for comedy or dark satire or tragedy for drama. So these are more of a tonal classification. From there, you get the super genre, which is where most audiences are going to determine what they want to watch. This is where your action, thriller, horror, fantasy, western, and seven others lives. Below that, there are macro genres, of which in his book, William Williams lists 52, but attests that there could be more. Macro is more the kind of story that's going to be told, like a love story or apocalyptic or time travel or family. You get it, I hope. Then below that, we've got the micro level. Each micro genre is particular to its given macro. For example, if you've got a drama, tragedy, crime, historical film, a micro genre for this would determine the era in which it takes place, whether it be modern period or an alternate reality. Those only pertain to a historical film within this taxonomy. Further, The type of voice in this determines genre as well. How is the story told? Is it linear? Are there flashbacks? Or is there some crazy shit like Memento and the movie's happening backwards? What kind of film stock is used? As well as the movement of the camera and the length of the shots. Who is the film written for? Adults, kids, a minority group, a specific gender? Will the film be live action or animated, etc.? How are lines delivered? Is dialogue used? VO? Is it a musical? And finally, are the fictional characters oblivious that they're living in a film? Or is there some breaking of the fourth wall a la Deadpool? Williams then goes into how the characters move through the film and how genre determines this. But now we're getting to a little bit more specific than what we need here. And I don't want to overwhelm anyone with any more information that is needed. You can rent his book on Amazon like for like seven bucks if this interests you. But I'm guessing it's also used as a textbook because a physical copy is like $70, which is why I'm still using my college textbooks, which were published in like from like 2009 to 2011 for these episodes. And then I just cross check online to make sure I Everything's more or less the same because I think these two bad boys that I specifically that I use the most were like 120 bucks a piece back then. So God only knows what they cost now. Williams is going to come up quite a bit in the coming weeks because I think he breaks it down and makes it make the most sense. And his is also the most adaptable to genre as it shifts with time. So today we've learned how genre came to be what genre is, and how its conventions can both drive and inhibit the film industry. We learned a couple of different ways to classify a film, and how that can change with time. As our world evolves and audience tastes continue to change, genre will continue to adapt to reflect cultural shifts. Genre, the ever-changing classification system, will forever walk hand-in-hand with the films illuminating the silver screen, a lighthouse to those seeking out a motion picture. Pretentious enough for you? I hope so.
that's going to do it for this week. If there's anything you'd like me to cover in the future, please reach out on social media. Would love any ideas. I'm about to start programming for next year and I'm panicking. That's also where I post photos for each episode when I remember, if I'm being honest. At Tinsel Factory Pod on Instagram, on Facebook at The Tinsel Factory. And if you have any questions, you can always email me at tinselfactorypod at gmail.com. I'm relying on word of mouth to get this podcast out there. So if you could please rate, review, and subscribe so that other people can find this podcast, that would be a huge help. In order to keep making the podcast, I've also set up a support page, the link of which you can find in the show notes. If you'd like to help me out in any way, I'd very much appreciate it. I also have the Buy Me a Coffee, where you just buy me a coffee while I stay up late and panic rewrite a whole month worth of programming. I've also got merch. Check it out, the link in the show notes. Next week, we're getting into drama films, where they came from, how they're broken down, and what types of films are dramas. We'll also go over some arguments as to whether or not drama is even a genre. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, that's a wrap. Mm-hmm.